Uh, okay, let's pray. Let's go. This is a very nice day. Almighty and merciful God, for your mercy's sake, keep far from us anything that would oppose us. And like the saints before us, bring us unhindered in body and soul to our heavenly rest and our eternal Eucharist with hearts set free in service to you through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, good to see you. Uh, anything, thanks to Young Bukes for covering up for me last week. There, I should have taken two weeks off. He was so good. Uh, he's a good young guy, so I'm very happy. Thanks for the music this morning, Chuck, and everybody else. That was very nice, too. Um, gosh, I don't know. It was, why, is, what, why is the demographic 8.30 all of a sudden? Has anybody figured this out? Everybody comes to 8.30 all of a sudden. I mean, we're starting to wrap around the altar, which is, you know, we'd never have happened. The only problem is it's so lonely at 11, you know. Where was the time Is that what it was? Yeah. Although it has, so I will, yeah, okay, I take, I take that's a great point. Uh, although people have been moving from the late service to the early service, and I know, I know not why, right? So... All right, um, John two. If you got a Bible, John two, John two. Yeah, is that what it is? Bears are playing later. Any? I'm, I'm, it was an honest question, man. They don't play when they play. I mean, it's not that big a deal. I mean, I know. It's, well, I mean, come on, really. I grew up a Packer fan. Everybody's got sins from their youth. Oh, that hurts, doesn't it? I worshiped at Green Bay yesterday. This is a true, I think I've told you this. I, this is a true story. I once had a call to Green Bay, and I, I went there to visit, and they took me, they said, you're going to love the pastor's office. I'm like, really? I walk in, it's not that great of an office. They open the curtains, and it overlooks Lambeau Field. This is true. And they said, they said, now, I said, you know, and you always ask this when you go to a place, you got, you're like, you got any idiosyncrasies, anything, you, toes you don't want to step on, anything? They said, well, not to get, you know, kind of the normal stuff. And they said, and then you should know that whenever the Packers are, are playing, the pyramids are, are green. <laughs> this is true. And I said, so I said, like, if I said, like, on Christmas, if they would have, yeah, yeah. I said, like, the Super Bowl, yeah, yeah. If they go, the, the pyramids, if the Packers are playing, the pyramids are green. So you thought the church was the big deal. No, no, you know. <laughs> You could have an entire you could have an entire advent in green pyramids, which is I mean it's the only place in the church that that happens. So people do what they do, right? I mean local custom, I guess it's all it's good. All right. So here's the thing. I mean it just occurs to me even this morning it occurs to me that Jesus is a lot more fun than we are. Uh, you know it just he's just a lot more fun than we are, and we. Um, you know, it's not, so we need to learn to have a little more fun, especially in the church. This morning was great. I mean, I continually am amazed how you can have that many kids in a place and that quiet. And we did have a few raised voices, potential choir members. They're auditioning for Chuck now. But, you know, here's the thing. You just got to, you got to love that because, you know, that whole, you know, that whole uh, north side of the church, you know, the median age there is nine. So uh, whatever's happening on that, that side, you know, it's, it's, it's quite remarkable stuff. So God bless them all. Um, and part of what, maybe one of the reasons we stumble, maybe one of the reasons we have such trouble talking with our friends, um, talking about Jesus with our friends is because they have, they have such a severe notion of Jesus. And that's a notion that we gave them. And as we sort of work through these stories, one of the things you notice is, is, is really how much fun Jesus is and how little 
he wants people to suffer. He doesn't want them to suffer and how close he wants to bring them and how he's very good at sort of overlooking people's, you know, foil. The only thing that Jesus really gets um, upset about, and it doesn't happen that often, the only time Jesus really gets upset is when people just sort of pridefully say to him, you know, forget it. Or when they, they, they pr- kind of pridefully offend. It's really kind of Pharisees who only get Jesus going because... You know, he gives this gift and he tries and he tries and, you know, but you really have to think about this. Every time you, every time you sort of evoke Jesus in the temple turning over the tables because he's sick of how people are asking, you have to put the crucifixion right next to that. Because it was a great, it was a great, you know, the crucifixion was a pretty prideful act as well. And, and, you know, Jesus can react one way and he can react another way and come down from the cross if you're the son of God. Uh... You know, and that would have been a remarkable thing for him if he'd have come down. But for you and for me, it wouldn't have been such a great thing. So you kind of think that through. Anyway, sort of the point is, you know, going to the title for today, Jesus is the bartender's best friend. But before we get there, you know, here's where we've been. So it's important to start this way. Jesus wants everybody home. In Jesus' mind, everybody is in and nobody's out. John 3.16, he dies for everybody. So in Jesus' mind, in a perfect world, everybody's in, nobody's out. And um, in the kingdom of God, and this is very important, there is no us and them. So you come this morning, and this church is pretty good, and I just am going to, I want you to continue to inoculate yourself against cliques and against, you know, groups and against ins and outs. You know, one of the things you can do, like we had a short morning this morning, but, you know, take some time to introduce yourself to people you don't know. For, even for you people who have been here as long as I've been here and longer, there's a bunch of new people, there's a bunch of people you don't know. And the only way you keep churches from clumping is by intentionally saying, I want to get to know these people. There's a lot of, especially young people here, and um, you know, some of you people have been around for a while. Some of you are a little older. You got some experience. You know, engage those people because that's the way you know you keep things fluid. That's the way you keep things going. For Jesus, there is nobody's in. I mean, there are no ins and outs. There's there's sort of no clicks in Jesus' world, right? And the longer you can go without that, the better you're going to be. And you see that in all these stories, all these people who have been out so far. So who don't you touch? You don't touch a dead guy because you get defiled. You don't pay any attention to the paralytic guy because, you know, he's sick or he might have a demon. You know, all the people that you don't want to be around, Jesus wants to be around them, right? I mean, this is not a very difficult crowd, the people who come to St. John. They're really, really wonderful people. Extend yourself to try to, you know, um, you know, have one big circle and not a bunch of little circles. That's what'll help. That's the way Jesus does his work, and that's what'll make the church work. So we have this joy of a rhythmic, rhythmic life, and especially on a day like today when we bring to mind people who have died before us. I more and more, when I was in Russia, the two times I've been there to teach, regularly when you go into um, cathedrals or you visit monasteries, there are people who are um, simply at an altar, usually dressed in all black, sometimes with a leather belt, men and women, um, just simply saying prayers or chanting prayers. And they're there when you come in, and they're there when you go out all day long. Uh, the longer I'm at this, you know, the more I see that the, is that a rhythmic life of you know, Christ and Scripture and prayer in the Eucharist, the longer I'm at this, that just does something to you that is inescapable. You know, this morning, kind of what happened, that, that, that changes you in a way, all those things change you in a way, it's very hard to change you back once you've been exposed to it. I mean, you really have something from this morning that you can take with you, especially in terms of uh, your own life and the people whom you love who have died, especially in this past year, but the people who are dear to you. They're having a really, really good day. 
And what we did this morning, as good as that was, is a pale imitation of what they're enjoying. So just the notion of doing it, of being here, of saying your prayers, of giving. Uh, by the way, tender giving, you know, we're moving into the end of the year. It's been pretty good this year, but, you know, just sort of bring that to mind. And then it's great to be a pastor and not have to say more than that. So, you know, tend that. Tend your prayers. Come to church. Keep going. Engage people. It's in the action, the action, the action. Yes, I know that faith is important. It's in the action. My worry for most of you, for most of us, is not about doctrine usually. We, know, we sort of know our P's and Q's. The action, the action. Christmas sharing coming. You know, Jesus says, you did it to, to, to one of these, you did it to me. You did it to the least one of these. When did you ever see me? You know, when did, when did we ever see you? Well, I see when you visited me or when you gave me clothes, okay? When you fed me. This is just straight, Christmas sharing is straight Matthew 26 stuff. The action. You know, so keep going because the action changes you. So we've got this rhythm, and um, it's a beautiful thing to be with you this morning. It was really a startlingly wonderful thing, right? So we always remember how we got here. So I'm at the fourth paragraph I've written for you. We always remember how we've got here. The great gift of memory is, you know, you didn't get here by yourselves. You got here because somebody gave it to you. But what you can do then is imagine how wonderful it can be. And you always have to hold those two things in tension. You remember the gift you've been given, then you imagine how wonderful it can be. If you stop imagining how wonderful it can be, then things will go to ash and eventually they'll crumble. This is true for any organization, but especially true for the church. You're nothing but given to, nothing but given to, nothing but given to. You live by mercy, you live by grace, you live by divine love. Now imagine to yourself how you can extend that to everybody you see here, especially people you don't know, especially people whom Jesus loves that you may not be so keen on, right? Everybody's in, nobody's out. So um, I'm, I'm going to flip the page here. You know, Jesus wraps us up in his life and spirit. And he asks us, and we've done these two things, we want to do good, Galatians 10, the great Galatians text that talks all about, by, uh, you know, by grace, you're saved by grace, 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 grace. He comes to chapter, chapter, chapter 6, and he says, now do some good, go do some good. And those two things are, you know, those, it's the same story. You know, being made righteous and being righteous, you know, justification and sanctification, those don't get unhooked. So here we go, and you do that by doing our best, and we spend a whole year once talking about what's best. It basically boils down to love, obedience, and maturity. Right? Loving God, being obedient to God, and growing in that, rhythmically doing better and better and better. So we've kind of come to the last thing. Christ and Scripture, prayer. I went back and looked at the Bible studies for about the last six or seven years that I've done in here. We've done all of these things along with beauty and community, Christology and mercy. That's what we've done over like the past six or seven years. Witness is the last great one. It's often the hardest one for Christians. It shouldn't be. And we've talked about the range of reasons why giving a winsome witness can be hard. Part of it is us. We act like dorks sometimes. You know, people walk in the door and nobody greets them. You know, churches fight about stuff. Um, you know, we are miserly. We're not merciful. Okay, sweep all that away. It, largely, we've got most of that stuff under control. So that's really, really good. So the first thing is don't be a dork. We talked about that. But the second thing is how can you talk to other people? And, and the thing is, is part of it is to just, just be kind to people, be present to them, be patient with them. And when you get the chance, you know, say a word or two about Jesus. He's very easy to talk about because he's so kind. I mean, I've used the example before, but the new pope, you know, I'm, I'm watching, you know, it's interesting. Um, but the new pope, I mean, what do, people, what do people recognize in him? I mean, they hear what they want to hear in so many ways, and it's okay, and there's all sorts of, you know, 
there's politics that are thick, but the thing that is recognized in him is that his, of his openness, his mercifulness. That the first word he speaks is a merciful word, right? It just, it just makes it possible then to speak about Jesus. And frankly, it's the right word because Jesus is so merciful himself. We've seen that over and over again. Zacchaeus, nobody else in town will talk to him. And Jesus is like, hey, let's have lunch. It's going to be great. And by the end of lunch, he's like, I'm in. And, you know, not only that, I'm making up for all the bad things I've done. Right? So, you know, all right, just keep going. So you've been drawn to this. You know, you've been engaged. You've been gathered, enlightened. You've been purified. All these things. And Jesus' own example is really, really practical. You're kind. What does Jesus do? He's kind to people. He tells them a story. Sometimes it's a parable. And then sometimes he asks them a question. Hey, want to follow me? Hey, want to be the 13th disciple? Hey, want to go to Jerusalem? Um, You know, he's very good. And that then means, you know, giving the lonely and the unloved another chance. Now, of course, and this is why all the heavy lifting is done in Bible study. You really got to come to Bible study. Church is just a, 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 glip, a, a glimpse, you know. There's a lot of stories going on in church, but you have to be kind of a, a sophisticated consumer to get it. And the reason we've stepped back from long sermons is because, you know, that's only one thing going on there. There's a lot of other things going on there. The prayers, the Eucharist, the reading of the scriptures. And so the pastor is not the biggest deal. You know, it's a deal, you know, when the church was also wrong when the pastor didn't preach because then everybody had to try to figure it out on their own, which is not the best way to go about it. There was just the evangelicals were shocked. They were shocked to find out that um, they ran a study this week and find out, you know, some of the most evangelicals, 50-60%, carry heresies that in the early church would have got you burnt at the stake. Like, you know... How, is, how are the Father and the Son related? Well, you know, 60% of the people, 90% of the people say Jesus is divine, but 60% of the people say he's not as divine as the Father. What? Right? That's basic heresy. That's why the creeds were written. That's exactly, that's why Santa Claus punched Arius in the nose. Remember, I told you that story. St. Nicholas goes across the room and he punches, he punches Arius in the nose for saying that exact thing, that the Son is, that the son is less than the Father somehow. Right? Div- divinely. So, I mean, you know, it's important to, to, it's important to have somebody speak, but it's not the only thing. Right? It's not the only thing. So there's this rhythm, there's all these things, there's this life, we're in it. Because of that, it should be fairly easy for us to say to a friend, hey, why don't you come to church? So here's a couple things for you. And on, on Thanksgiving, there'll be a change. On Thanksgiving Eve, there won't be a Eucharist. Why? So that, because one is, it's a, it's a day, we're going to do a daily office. And so there's not any sort of Eucharistic pressure about your friends coming or not coming. It's the same reason on Christmas Eve that the earlier service is more of a hymn sing, lessons and carols, and we don't have a Eucharist. We do have a Eucharist later. If you want the Eucharist, you can get it a couple times on Christmas Eve. But we want a service where it's as welcoming as it can be to your next door neighbor who doesn't go to church at all. We'll turn him into a priester twice a year. It'll be great. What's the matter? So here's the thing. I mean, you know, if we get them going Christmas and Easter, maybe then we'll get them going other times, right? But we want to try to open a door where your friends can come, where it's easy. And so here's the thing, man. The particular pressure on the pastor who preaches that day, Pastor Nelson, and the music people, Chuck, Philip, Peter. So because, um, you know, there's no Eucharist, so uh, you guys have to up your game just a little bit, okay? So here we go. We'll see what happens. I mean, nothing to worry about for you guys. Bonus time is until May. Okay, so um, 
Now, do remember that um, lo it's love that makes everything flourish. So I'm kind of at the end of the pages. And try to remember, too, so often I want to try to relieve you of the pressure of closing the sale. You know, the last couple decades, three, four decades, we've been so interested in closing the sale. Well, I mean, what do you do about, the, about Jesus who says the kingdom of God is like yeast that rises in dough? Take some time. What do you do with Jesus when he says, when people, um, when people come to the church, it's like, it's like a plant growing? Right? So I told you the story about pulling out the plants because you want them to grow faster. It's slow and repeated effort that brings people to the church. It's also slow and repeated effort for people to leave the church. So I just want to say, especially on All Saints, if you've lost somebody and you're a little nervous about them, Jesus fishes with a barbed hook. It is very difficult to shake Jesus. You can shake him, but it's very difficult. It's very, I mean, Jesus is not like that. You know, Jesus isn't like, you know, a bad prom date. You know, he's not, it's, it's not easy to get rid of him, okay? You know, Jesus is very, very interested in you, and he's very interested in your friends. In fact, he's very interested in everybody. It's, we usually don't talk this way about the quantifiable touch. It's not a good way to talk about how much, because then people start to say, well, that I had enough that I don't need anymore. So that's not a good thing. But do remember that when Jesus, the gospel is a powerful thing, and the touch of Jesus really is divine. You saw that last week in the story of Nain. A word from Jesus or a touch from Jesus really does change people's lives. Okay, and you wanna you wanna be part of that. So we're trying to draw people to be fully human. That's what we're trying to do. When people walk in this church, they should notice that you're different somehow. They should even notice that you're different from other churches. I hope. Um, that's the reason for you to be here because, you know, it's, you're always getting more and better. That's not, a, that's not a criticism of other churches. It just means when people walk in, they should see that, they should see that something is different about you. And, and you need to work at that. And it's the reason we confess, and it's the reason we're forgiven. I mean, there's some places where we all let that down. You know, we want to do better and better in terms of drawing people together. So one of the really good stories about that is John 2, okay? So let's, let's read that. Don't tell Luis. Um, <laughs> Uh, although I want you to keep in mind John 1.14, Jesus um, took flesh and tab tabernacled among us, you know, and the word took flesh and dwelt among us is normally how it's translated. However, you know, the real translation is, and, you know, this is why it's, it's good to check the language occasionally, you know, and Jesus took flesh and he tabernacled among us. That means all the good things that happened in the tabernacle happen in the flesh of Jesus. This is why we go on so much about the Eucharist. The Eucharist is the place where the flesh of Jesus visibly, tangi tangibly, physically touches you. That's why the Eucharist is such a big deal. Because the same flesh from Mary now tabernacles with you, in fact, touches you. So just like Jesus touches a leper, or touches the boy from Nain, or touches somebody else, Jesus at the Eucharist touches you. So his flesh... And I've given you sort of all the code words. It's present, it's tangible, it's joyful, it's visible, it's the place of reconciliation. All the things that happened in the tabernacle. It's rhythmic, it's regular, it's certain, it's visible. Remember, you know, um, pillar of fire by day, and a, or pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. All those things, um, all those things are happening wherever Jesus is present. So, uh, a quick read to John 2, right? So the first question for you here in John 2, uh, well, how, is this, how is this different from any other miracle that Jesus does, right? Uh, how is this different than any other miracle, right? On the third day, so um, 
Third day is always a good day. Third day and eighth day are good days in John's Gospels. Third day, always something good happens. Ultimate third day good thing that happens is Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday. John is also the one who talks about the eighth day. So three and eight are big, big numbers. And you can go back and you can try to figure out what he's talking about and where he was, what's the third day. But the point is, on third days in John's Gospel, that's like shooting up a flare. Something really cool is going to happen. On the third day, there was a marriage at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Okay, so it's not far from Jesus' hometown. Cana in Galilee. They're up around the Sea of Galilee, right? So this is, you know, by now, news would have spread a little bit. He's just starting out, but there's something about that Jesus boy, son of Joseph, right? That's something a little different. Jesus was invited to the marriage with his disciples. So this is great now. So we basically we've got a son who's unemployed and 12 guys following around who have quit their jobs. <laughs> And they've come to a big buffet, right? <clears throat> now, there's some discussion about what happens next. Um, when, when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they don't have any wine. Now, there's a couple of possibilities here. Uh, you should know, in, in ancient cultures, you know, it's like, it's like when people, you know, 150 years ago, why did the pastor preach for two hours, and why did, you know, church last all day? Because you came to church in a buggy, and it was a long way. And so when you came, you stayed for a while. Well, I mean, it's the same with them. They walked there. You know, so if you're walking along, around the lake and you have to walk, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 miles to get there or maybe longer, you stay for a while. The other thing, it's also a tribal culture. They're going to do a lot of business while they're at the wedding. You know, people are going to see, you know, who belongs to whom and who's lived and who's died and who needs to get married and what everybody's doing and who's been faithful, who's not been faithful. They're trying to figure out a lot. There's a lot of data going on. Plus, and this is really important because I think we're returning to this, it's not just that we in the world, and frankly, I understand the world this, this way now, the world is, re, has returned to tribes. And that's the reason there's so much tension in the world, because the world has returned to tribalism. You have your tribe, and I have my tribe, and our tribes can't get along. Election day coming on Tuesday. Who, who among all the candidates has talked about the common good? except as a nod toward getting your vote because the really is... The, in, who, who actually says anything nice about the other guy? See, the loss of common good, is, it's tribal, for example, or what's happened in the Middle East, that's tribal. Okay? It's also, and this is a very interesting thing, we remain a shame and honor culture. Not as much as they are, but this is a shame and honor culture. And so, you know, for example, one of the marks of... You, know, you read all these books about leadership, but one of the marks of good leaders is they don't publicly shame. Right? So to be shamed is to be, to be outcast, to be not part of the tribe anymore. Well, here's the thing. You have a big party, you run out of wine, you're shamed. Now, there's a couple of possibilities here. One is that people did actually, apparently, sent money ahead because, especially in poorer regions, you know, you have somebody, you know this from dowries that still exist. You know, you hear about dowries, especially through India and, and um, you know, kind of mid between China and, and, and Europe. You hear about how, how dowries work and how shame works and honor killings and all that kind of stuff. You know, times 10 where they are right here. So to run out of wine is a big shame. Not everybody has enough to put on a party for a week or two or three or four, right, for people who are coming. And there was, it seems like there may have been this custom where you were supposed to sort of pay ahead so if Jesus and the boys are coming to the wedding, they're supposed to send buffet money for 12 or 13, right? That's one sort of natural explanation for why there was enough. Like maybe Jesus stiffed the steward, 
Um, but sometimes Jesus does things just to set things up, you know. It's possible, you know. Or maybe he didn't, you know. But I just sort of, sometimes you, I'm, so I'm just sort of giving you, in any case, or how much did Mary know? See, part of the question is, is what does Mary know? So, I mean, this is a woman who's been visited by angels. I mean, she's, you know, she's a woman who's pregnant without having sex. This is a weird life, okay? This is not, you know, you've got some strange stuff going on in your life. So, you know, they're out of wine. Now, why she comes to say to Jesus they're out of wine and what can he really do and does she expect a miracle and who knows what's going on? It's really difficult to tell. But what happens next is um, the reason young boys sass their mommies. And uh, I just want to take this, I want to take this opportunity to say, if you sass your mommy, you can't pin it on Jesus. So I gave you a particularly bad translation, although the rest of this is kind of fun. This is verse 4. Is that any of our business, mother, yours or mine? This isn't my time. Don't push me. Like, really? Can you hear Jesus saying, don't push me around to the Blessed Virgin Mother? That's right on the edge of, I'm not sure. So, you know, but at least what Jesus says here, when he says, you know, when Jesus says, um, um, my hour is not yet come. I should just read you the exact. Jesus says to her, O woman, which is more, that's not sassy. If you say to your mother, O woman, that's sassy. <laughs> if Jesus says to his mother, O woman, that's not sassy. The reason is, you know, also on the cross, remember what he says to St. John? Woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother, right? So it, it is an honorific title. By the way, just is just so... Just so when it happens, nobody says, I'm so surprised by that. I sort of have a couple of, we're, we're moving toward icons in the back. Mary, and the, Mary, the Blessed Virgin Mother, and Jesus on one side. This be to hold the chapel space. And St. John, since we're St. John on the right, I've said this to you before, but we have to kind of pick the ones that need to be written that fit the space and all that. But someday, and you always see them at the foot of the cross, Mary and Jesus. So when you look at our cross, you should be able to see um, Mary and Jesus underneath, although we'll just, we'll just see how it holds the space. Anyway, that being said, this is not, it's not sassy. Like if you said, oh, woman, to your mother, it's just like, wasn't it the Wall Street Journal this weekend had an article about parents calling their parents by their first name? Have you seen this? So our, our kids, we know that they do it colloquially with their friends. They'll say, well, Kirby, you know, da, 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 da. <laughs> Which, you know, and, but, but there's this new trend of thir- 12 and 13-year-olds. Have you seen this? Calling their parents by their first names, which is, the, you know, find the last step in, hey, you're not, I'm the parent and you're the child, which frankly is sort of a Wheaton theme anyway, you know. Uh, most characteristically seen to me when people don't come to church anymore, they, I say, they say, you know, why don't you come? Say, well, our kids decided they wanted to go somewhere else. I'm like, really? Why don't you let your kids make the unimportant decisions like managing your 401k or uh, you know, where you live or where you buy a vacation house. Because the big decisions, like church, that's probably an adult decision. You know, the money decisions, let the kids have those. But nobody ever goes for that. So anyway, um, you know, Jesus is not being sassy. But Jesus is saying, uh, he says to her, old woman, which can be neutral to honorific, you know, why are you asking me? My hour has not yet come. Now here's the thing. This is an old Semitic phrase. You find this in the Old Testament, for example, when the prophet, uh, it hasn't rained for three years. And the king comes to the prophet and says, make it rain. And the prophet says to the king, what does this have to do with me? Which basically means this deal isn't happening between us. It's not on a horizontal level. Okay? So Jesus is just saying, you're really good. You, know, you gave me flesh and blood. 
you were particularly standout after the wise men came we down, down to Egypt. And you know, for the last 30 years, things are working out, especially since the old man died. But we're just at another place at this particular wedding, and it's all going to work out when the timing is right. Now, the thing is, he didn't actually say to anybody, um, you know, hey, the, 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 I mean, he didn't like sort of say in 37 minutes when my iPhone goes off. He just sort of said, somebody else gets to decide when my hour, and hour, the word hour in John's gospel is a, is a very pregnant phrase. The word, when Jesus talks about his hours coming, big stuff is going to happen. So already you've got, it's the third day, and you've got the hour, and you've got Jesus and his mother, and he hasn't done anything really, really spectacular that people know of yet, or they haven't seen him, or it's not public, but it's about to break out, and here's a good situation, and couldn't you do something, and here we go. That's all set up in the first three or four verses, okay? Now, the most interesting, and perhaps, you know, this is on my top ten, and maybe top five verses in scripture. So here's the thing. There are people in life who cause offense. There are people in life who take offense. In this verse, Jesus does not cause offense and Mary does not take offense. And you know that from verse five. So she says, how about, how about a little help here? And Jesus is like, I don't know. And then she turns to the servants and she says one of the most beautiful phrases in scripture. Do whatever he tells you. Now, here's the thing. It's really early. It, this is really early. And Mary never speaks again in Scripture. These are Mary's last recorded words in Scripture. It is the most remarkable thing. It's early in the story. Jesus has barely started. He's just gathered apostles. He hasn't done any miracles. And this is the last time Mary speaks. And what she says is, do whatever he tells you. It is the, most, it is the sum of being Christian. It's why often in the church... Mary is spoken of as the first apostle, the primary apostle. It's why Lutherans should pay more attention to Mary. It's why Lutherans should remember that Luther was pastor at St. Mary's Lutheran Church. <laughs> he was. They never changed the name. He was a pastor at St. Mary's. It's also a thing for women. Like This is, like, this is a huge woman thing where, the, where she, she gets it before anybody else gets it. Do whatever he tells you. I mean, frankly... That, uh, this is the sermon, you know, this is the text, all else is commentary. You really don't have to say anything else about your life except just do whatever he tells you, not in sort of an angry way. This is a very happy thing. She's like, okay, this is all going to work out, just do whatever he tells you. It means he's got it all in his hand, it's all in control, he's taking good care of it, he really loves it, he loves you, he loves everybody. Nobody's going to get shamed, nobody's going to get dishonored, nobody's going to go hungry, this is all going to work out, just do whatever he tells you. You've all been in situations where at some point, somebody has to take control of it. And if you can find the guy, you must, you must know somebody like this. We're in this situation. Like if I was going to buy a car, Joe Holm is my guy, right? Because I'm finding Joe Holm. I'm like, find me a car. And then I say to my wife, just do whatever he tells you, right? Because, <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, Joe can find a car in his sleep. So, I mean, it's like that. So this, that's what's happening here, right? Do whatever he tells you. The last time Mary speaks, it's so beautiful. Do whatever he tells you. There are six stone jars standing there for the Jewish rites of purification. So these are observant people, each holding 20 or 30 gallons, kind of normal stuff. Now watch the interplay. Jesus says, fill the jars with water, and they fill them up. They do whatever he tells them. I can just tell you, I'm, I love you. You know, your lives will work out if you do whatever he tells you. I know it's difficult. We confess every week that we don't get that. I'm just telling you, if you want your life to work out, it's not in a bad way, just do whatever he tells you, right? 
This is like, you know, if I said to you, you know, buy Twitter at the, you know, at the pre-IPO price for 10 cents a share. You know, that, that it, it'll work out. Just do whatever. You, okay, so fill the jars with water, and they filled them up. Now draw some out and take it to the steward. So they took it. Do this, they did it. Do that, they did it. Now the great joy. When the steward of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and he didn't know where it came from, though the servants who'd drawn the water knew because they did what he told them. The steward of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everybody else, every man serves the good wine first. Why? Because you get people loaded up and then you bring the swill, right? I mean, this is just normal bartending behavior. You got one bottle of Grey Goose and then everything else is just kind of well stuff that you're pouring into the bottle of Grey Goose when nobody is looking, right? That's right. So here's the thing. Everybody else brings, you know, the good stuff and then the bad stuff, but you have have kept the good wine until now. You've kept the best wine for last. And what are you supposed to hear when that happens? You've kept the best wine for last. What are you supposed to hear? That. Who's the best wine for last? Jesus. Yeah, you're supposed to hear in this story. It's not a story about the wine. It's a story about Jesus. It's the third day. It's the hour. It's the Blessed Virgin Mother. It's about doing whatever he tells you. What you're supposed to hear is the best wine is Jesus. There have been prophets. There have been priests. There have been kings. There have been texts, there have been prophecies, there have been miracles, right? But this is the big deal. You've saved the best wine for last. His hours come, right? His hours come. This the first of his signs, and in this is another big John thing. A sign is something that always points to something else. So this is like, you're, not, you're supposed to say like, okay, the wine is cool and it's really good, but... It's not the big deal. The sign always points to something else. This is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And I've worn you out by telling you that glory is holiness from heaven that comes down to earth. So whenever the holiness from heaven comes down to earth and kind of floods the landscape, that's what we call glory. So te- technically, you know, glorious things are really reserved for God and his action. That's the only glorious thing. But when the angels sing, for example, glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth, when you come to Christmas and they sing that way, what's happening is that the glory of God, the holiness of heaven has come to earth. So the holiness that only exists in heaven, that is only in the Trinity, but of course it floods heaven. It's like, you know, it funnels down in the flesh and blood of Jesus. And the angels are like, hey, pay attention, it's all here. Glory to God in the highest, peace to his people on earth. Here's the thing. It's exactly the same thing. This is another point where they're saying, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. Heaven has come to earth. Not in some nebulous sort of way. Heaven has come to earth in the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, now here's the thing. What's different about this than all the rest of Jesus' miracles? This is a different kind of miracle. Why is that? You know, what do you think? There's a reason this is different. Why is this different? So Jesus, when he finds a guy who's blind, what's he do? He spits in the ground, he makes some mud, and he packs it on the guy's eyes. Or Lazarus is dead in the tomb. He's like, Lazarus, come out. Looks right at him. Come on, let's go. Did you notice that Jesus didn't do anything? He doesn't do anything. He doesn't say anything. It's a remarkable thing. So what's the miracle? What's the miracle here? The miracle is just that Jesus is there. The presence of Jesus is the miracle. That Jesus has come, that he's, that he's in the room, that Jesus is in the room, that changes everything. So if you need to figure out what happens when, when, when Jesus shows up, like 
It's a little thing like changing water into wine, which we all think is the big thing. No, no. The big thing is that heaven has come to earth, that Jesus has come to us, that God lives among us. And when God lives among us, everything changes. Okay, now fast forward because we're a little late and it's a feast day and we've got a baptism and life's good. Here's the deal. What you're supposed to understand is how happy this is when Jesus comes. And so we talked about what does it mean to be kind to people? It means to be present with them like Jesus is present with them and be kind to them like Jesus is kind to them. So real life, real life, and then we got to go. A few years ago, you might remember this from the news, um, there was a guy who in a drunken rage beat his best friend to death and then set him on fire in a pickup truck. Do you remember this in the news? So Hulkerns calls us and says, hey, will you do the funeral for this guy? Because he's sort of a once upon a time was and probably is a lapsed Lutheran, but his family from the East Coast wants to know if you'll take care of him. So in those kinds of circumstances, we try to cast a wide net. We said, yeah, we'll actually do the funeral. Pastor Gaining did it. He was masterful. And they, he's like, tell me about your son. You know? and the, I mean, the first thing that came out of everybody's mouth was he really liked a good party. Now, here's the thing. The guy was a biker guy, and he was given to a good party from what we could understand. And he hadn't been in church for a while, although he had been baptized and had been in church. And come on, he was murdered and he was set on fire. And the family is completely broken, and his best friend sobered up and was like, what did I have I done? You know, right? What a mess, okay? This was the text. This was the text for the funeral. Weird text for a funeral. Great text for a wedding. Weird text for a funeral. Why is it the text for the funeral? Because when Jesus is present, everything changes. And this guy loved a good party, and Jesus loves a good party. And All Saints Day, what do you say to people? They're having a great party. Yeah, I know it's messy in between. It's really messy in between. And I'm going to talk to you differently on this day than I'm going to talk to you when you're about to draw your last breath. On this day, I'm going to say to you, Christ and Scripture and prayer and tend your giving and be kind and don't have any clicks and go to the Eucharist and listen to the music and swing the incense and here we go, keep the rhythm of life, say your prayers when you go home, raise your kids in the faith. That's what I'm going to say to you now and confess where it's gone wrong and let's do better. Okay? But on your last day, you get a free pass. Because on your last day, it's all about what Jesus has done to you. It's why we don't do eulogies here. The last thing we say about you is that Jesus is present. And so even about that guy, we could say Jesus is present to that guy, right? In those circumstances, kind of lapsed, pretty hard liver, beaten to death by his best friend and set on fire to try to cover it up. Even in those circumstances, Jesus is present. And so all the rest falls behind. So here's the thing. Live your life now. Right? Live your life now. Come to church. Listen to the baby Jesus. Say your prayers. Give your tithe. Bring a lot of alms to Christmas sharing. Right? Be merciful to people when you bump into them because, frankly, Jesus is way more merciful than we are. And when you get the chance, tell a good story about Jesus, who's a bartender's best friend. That's the point. Right? Okay, got to go. Love you. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, see you next week. Have fun.